Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to raise this up a little bit. Uh, a number of years ago, I was running an asphalt paving operation in East Texas. Uh, my main office was in Longview. And I, uh, I rock, one of my rock salesmen was a guy named Bob Brandon. And Bob uh, came to me one day and he said, Chuck, you've got to go to this seminar, this weekend seminar. And he said, it's, he said, it's about uh, how you think and uh, how your thinking can change your, your whole life. And so I told him, I said, Bob, I appreciate the invite, uh, but, you know, I just don't need some charm school to somehow make it make me better. You know, I, I got to work it out. But he insisted. So finally I went. This four-day deal, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Down in Kerrville, Texas, down in the hill country. Beautiful country. So I get down there, and I'm Mr. Skeptic. Okay, just try to teach me something. And that was really my attitude. And so as the people began to teach, and it went on and on and on, I began to think, you know, there's something to this. They're, 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 this has just got the ring of truth. And I remember thinking that, that, that what they're saying up there, that, that there's something to this. So that night, they all go out for dinner. You know, they all go hoop to do, and uh, I, I can't do that. So I go get my, my jogging gear on, and I go for a run. And back in those days, <clears throat> I was in decent shape. I could run, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles and not even breathe hard. And so I start up those hills and down those hills in Kerrville, the, the hill country, up and down those hills, thinking, God, there's something to this. What is it? Help me to understand it. God, there's just a ring of, there's the ring of truth here, but I can't, I can't see it. And so uh, as the weekend went on, uh, it, it, uh, began to crystallize and opened up and I began to understand it better and better and better. It was life changing. I have a number of things. Uh, I have a list. I'm, on, I'm a list guy, okay? I like it. What's the 10 best books you've ever read? I got a list of them. <laughs> What's the 10 best movies you've ever seen? You know the 10 best movies I've ever seen? The top two were both made in, Fr in France and had English subtitles. Best movies I have ever, ever seen. Made in France. Not to be downgrading Hollywood, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I got these lists. And so, <clears throat> uh, I, I went home and made a list of the things that have altered my life permanently, from which I have never, something happened from which I never recovered. The first one, of course, is when I came to Christ. I mean, that just changed everything. My language, my mind, my goals, my attitude. I mean, everything changed when I came to Christ. And then when I <clears throat> transferred over to A&M and I met the Navigators, and they got me in the Bible. Every day I was in that Bible. And I was reading the Word. And I was memorizing the Word. That changed my life. I mean, I have never recovered from that association with the Navigators back in 19, I think I met the Navs in 63. Never, I never recovered from that. And I, well, the third one was going to this Ed Foreman seminar. I put that down. That, that somehow altered the, the whole way I think. 
Well, um, we have a, uh, a number, we have a, a ministry there in Dallas, primarily through the churches uh, Watermark and Stonebriar Community, which is where Chuck Swindoll preaches, and uh, also First Baptist. Robert Jeffries is a preacher, pastor. We have Bible studies there, and I, and I have lead in all, all of those. In those Bible studies, we, the, the best thing I have ever found, and, and it may, I haven't done every Bible study ever been written, but the best, the thing that I found in these Bible studies was this Colossians 2-7 series that w was created by Ron and Betty Ortley back in 1970. And we're going to celebrate the 50-year anniversary of the 2020. But it, it, is, it is the most life-changing Bible study I've ever, I've ever done. It gets you in the Word. You have to read the Bible every day. You have to uh, journal. You have to memorize Scripture. You do Bible studies. It's one of the best I've ever seen. Chapter 3, session 3 of the first book is a session called uh, The Tyranny of the Urgent. Tyranny of the Urgent. So I'm teaching this thing and I'm reading through this and uh, there was a little article by a, a fellow that wrote, wrote, that was the title of the article, The Tyranny of the Urgent. <coughs> so I, I read through that and I had the same experience. I was like, you know, there's something to this. I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know what it is. There's just something here. Uh, there's just, I mean, the, the, what he is saying, it, it's just got that, that ring of truth, that life-changing uh, concepts that will alter who you are if you'll buy into this. And so I, I took it uh, and, and developed it. And, uh, and now I, I, I speak on it quite a bit down at, down at Watermark or Stonebriar or First Baptist. Um, but it's called the tyranny of the urgent. Well, what's that all about? And what the tyranny of the urgent is all about is the fact. <clears throat> let me, uh, I'll, I'll, we've got some slides here. I think if this, uh, if uh, Sammy's not asleep up there and we, I mean, okay, that's it. The tyranny of the urgent, a study in purposeful living. And that's what I titled it. The, uh, the thing that I do, and I'll show you this as we get toward later in this, uh, I'll show you another slide. That's what I do with men. I want, these, I want these men to live purposeful, that I meet with, to live purposeful lives in everything that they do. And that's, and that's what we do. But, but the thing that keeps them from doing that most often is what we call the tyranny of the urgent. Let, let me just explain it a little bit. Tyranny, I looked up in the dictionary, what is tyranny? And it's a simple definition. It just means oppressive power. It just means that something is oppressing you, something that's got power, that's got stroke, and it's holding you but down. It's holding you back. That's what it is. The tyranny. And so, so I wrote down the myriad of seemingly endless, urgent things we have to do are like a tyrannical power keeping us from any significant goal we want to accomplish with our lives. I would imagine... <laughs> You know, I've taught a lot of groups, and often I've asked the question, how many in here, how many of you in here have something that you'd like to change in your life? I've never had nobody, I've never had somebody not raise their hand. 
Everybody knows that they're not where they need to be. So then the question is, why? Why aren't you there? Well, the myriad of seeming, it keeps us from any significant goal we want to accomplish with our lives. Many are still in the habit of reacting to the urgent rather than responding to the important. Important activities should be of high priority because they are the things that contribute significantly to our objectives. They have more long-term impact. They should help us the most, most in reaching our goals. Those are important activities. I could ask you to take two, take two sheets of paper and on the right, write down everything that you need to do that is important, and on the left, write down everything that you need to do that's not important, but it's urgent. You gotta get that thing done, and you'd have a list. The thing about it is, is that the urgent page tends to override the important page and we never get to them. And so we go through life day after day after day, month after month, year after year, and we're basically the same people. It's like one fellow said, you know, you can live 10 years or you can just live one year and repeat it 10 times. I think a lot of people do that. So. I saw this and I knew that uh, the people that I would, this is, we need to work on this. So I wrote, urgent activities usually are more short-term in nature and may or may not relate to our objectives. They usually do not make significant object uh, contributions, but they make endless demands on our time and they pressure us daily. Those are just the little things you have to do every day. And you find yourself caught up in doing those little urgent things that you need to get done or you think you need to get done but they keep you from doing the things which you have said are important to you. So there's a tension that develops between the urgent and the important because the important things seldom need to be done today. Things that are really important in your life, you don't really have to do them today. You need to get them done. But the urgent things you do, I mean, they're just, they're just hounding you. They need to be done not right now. But urgent things almost always do. There's a critical need for learning to set proper priorities so that our visions, our goals, and desires can be met more effectively. And then Tony Jerry made a comment, most people don't take the time to prioritize, they just react. That's us. You don't, take, you don't sit down at that morning or sit down just before you go to bed at night and plan out your next day. You just get up and start reacting. It's the way we are. Sadly, that's the way we are. So I saw all this and I thought, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I, I, there's something here, I've gotta, I've gotta help people understand this. So there's this persist, persistent struggle of choosing between that which is urgent but not so important and that which is important but not so urgent. And this is not some kind of a pep, pep talk on priorities, but uh, I want to talk about a few issues that if we can clarify those and hopefully we can make some progress here. But here's the question, do you realize what we're talking about? What we're talking about is living the life God himself designed and made for you. That's what we're talking about. Um, I got a verse that's coming up next that uh, is probably one of the clearest statements in the Bible as to the, the plan of God for our lives. I mean, it's... It's just in detail. But look at this verse. It's Psalms 139. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me. Do you believe that? 
How tall are you? What color hair do you have? Um, what do you like to do? What are you good at? And God put all that together. Um, you wove me in my mother's womb. You, you wove me in my mother's womb. Uh, for you formed by my inward words. You wove me. And I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, and my soul knows it very well. Your eyes have seen my unformed. No, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That was my, that's your skeleton. And God said, it, it was, I skillfully put that together. That's probably how tall you are, how big you are. But God put all that together for you. That's why, to be honest, uh, it, it really breaks my heart and just that uh, it, it is so evil. And that is this idea of, of, of abortion. And you've taken something that God has put together and kill it. I just, I just have some serious problems with that. But God did it. He, your eyes have seen my, get this, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book they were written all the days that were ordained for, for me when as yet there was not one of them. And so the Bible proclaims that God put you together bone by bone, cell by cell, muscle by muscle, deep in your mother's womb for a purpose. He had a job for you. He has a purpose for you. He has your days planned. Now, I tell, <coughs> I tell people that uh, <coughs> that God has a mission for you, and he does every one of us, certain things he wants to do with our lives. And he built you perfectly to accomplish that. That's why I think Jesus called it the abundant life. When we're living as God made us along the path that he designed for us? I mean, how can that not be abundant? But that's what, uh, that, so we want to look at that. Your life has meaning. It has purpose. It has significance. Um, happiness is living the life that has purpose and meaning, a life you feel is worthwhile. If you want to be, if you want to experience a joyful life, you will live that life that's in line with how God made you and the purpose that he made you for. So, did I skip one? Yeah. But the vast majority of people never accomplish what they're capable of. Does that sound familiar? If we fully tapped your potential, what might be different for you? How would your life change if each and every day you performed up to your full potential? And here's my statement. My passion in meeting with men is to help them perform at their best and to live the life they're truly capable of. That's why we meet on Friday morning at 6. That's why we write our objectives. That's why we face each other across the table and pull each other to the highest standard because we are saying that God made us. He made us with these, these gifts and abilities and strength. This is what I'm good at. This is what I want to do. This is what my life should live like. Help me to get there. And that's what we do. But if we did the things Edison made a kind, if we did the things that we were just capable of, we'd just shock ourselves. But Eric Hoffer, Eric Hoffer was a, uh, he was an atheist. He wrote a book called The True Believer. He was an atheist that worked on the long, on the, the, the um, ports of San Francisco shipping material 
for the war. He tried to get into the military in World War II and they wouldn't let him. He, he didn't qualify. So he worked on the docks, shipping material to the war effort as his way of contributing to the war effort. He was a voluminous reader, atheist, but he wrote a book called The True Believer. And the end of The True Believer, uh, he makes a comment. He puts everybody in the same boat. Jesus, Mao Zedong, uh, Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin. He, he puts them all in the same boat because these people are people who created movements. They had literally millions and millions of people following their philosophy and their teaching. They created movements. So he just lumps them all into one. But he makes the comment, we're warned not to waste our time, but we're being brought up to waste our lives. And that's what he says. I think he's right. We're being warned not to waste our time, but we just waste our lives. So, now, let me, uh, let me get my, my notes here. Oh. Okay, I know where I am. So, a guy named uh, Alan Lakin wrote a book called How to Get Control of Your Time and Your Wife. Oh, uh, Time and Your Life. <laughs> forget that one. But, but Lakin wrote, wrote this book. Good book. Lakin was a good time consultant. He wrote a book, How to Get Control of Your Time and Your Life. And he says most people don't think in terms of minutes. They think in terms of, they, they waste all the minutes, nor do they think in terms of their whole life. So they start over again every week and spend another chunk unrelated to their lifetime goals. They're doing a random walk through life without moving, without getting anywhere. And Lakin says, that's my understanding of the American culture. We're, we're, we, we don't even think about minutes. We don't think about our life. We just try to get through the week. And so I can ask you, what, uh, what's, what's on tap? And you could probably tell me what you, plan, you got planned for the weekend. But if I ask you, what are you trying to accomplish by the end of the year? You may not know, probably don't know, probably never even given it a thought. <clears throat> well, I want to graduate or I want to complete my courses. But So what, why, are you, why do you want to do that? I mean, what, 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 where are you going? Why does that fit? Why does that mean anything? But Lakin says, we don't, we don't think in terms of minutes, and nor do we think in terms of our life. We just kind of do a random walk through life, you know, with, the, with each week. The real question is, what do we really want to do? If we do not know, sooner or later, we will realize that whatever it was, there isn't enough time left to do it. And that's what happens. You get older in life, all of a sudden you graduate, you go out and you get yourself a job, and that's okay. And you get married, and that's okay. And uh, you start living life, and that's okay. But uh, where are you going? Who are you? Wh who are you becoming? And we just go through the day and go through the week to accomplish things and get things done. But we really, we really don't. Uh, it doesn't fit. It doesn't. Have, it doesn't fit a plan. It's, we're just existing. We're just moving through the week. 
Paul Stringer was a, uh, he's a medical doctor, but he, uh, he, uh, he works in the sports field. I, I'm, I was talking to Paul one day, and he made this comment, you'll never know how soon it will be too late. That's a, good, that's a good comment. You'll never know how soon it will be too late. And then I wrote this one now, I think, when is it too late to become what you might have been? What could you, what could you do with your life? How has God wired you? What does God want to do through you? How has he gifted you? What, what uh, uh, longings and dreams has he given to you? And so the, uh, but, but uh, when is it going to be too late? You missed it. You put it off, you put it off, you put it off. You let the urgent rob you of doing the important things and you put it off and you put And then one day you wake up and you say, I don't, I, I'll never do it. I'll never become that. I'll never do that. I'll never have that. So, what is that? What the? Okay. <laughs> hey, you in the back. Uh, there's a, the next thing should have been a triangle. Can you pull that up, Stephen? <clears throat> well, you, you don't have to. You can either leave. I mean, you can either leave or, or pull it up. But the, uh, I, have a, I have a little, the triangle that I have up here really represents an iceberg. And uh, that's the best thing I could do as far as a slide, was I've created this iceberg, and then I draw a little squiggly line across the top section of it, because in an iceberg, there's only a certain part that's above the water that you can see. The rest of it's below the water. And in your life, there's just a few things that people see. They hear you say things and they see you do things, but the real you never comes out. You hide that. You guard that carefully. So, how you coming? No, those are questions, but that, that, I'm looking for a triangle. It was the next slide. It, what do you mean there's no triangle? I'm looking at one. <laughs> uh, well, uh, do you want a whiteboard? Yeah, we don't. Well, the whiteboard's gone. We, we can use the whiteboard. It's just a, uh, it's just a triangle. <laughs> to be technical, it's an isosceles triangle. Neil you, Neil, you may need to get another audio guy. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. 
This is, this is, this is fun stuff. This is, this is life changing. I'm telling you. I'm sitting there thinking and reading this article and I'm thinking, you know, there, there's just something to you. There's, there's something here. And so uh, this is life changing. Uh, I need to get another whiteboard. I agree with that. <laughs> You're good to go. That's good. Okay. Okay. Let's assume that we have a, uh, I can just draw a triangle. Does that look familiar up there, Steve? <laughs> now, we'll make out like this as an iceberg, so we'll put water along here. But this is, uh, when people see you, the, what they see is your acts. They see what you do, hear what you say, and, that's, and that's, what they, that's what they see of you. That's what they know of you. That's what they think of you, your acts. Why do you act that way? Why do you act the way you act? Why do you respond the way you respond? The, uh, the Bible tells us is that we are a product of our thinking. And uh, there, I had a verse here in Proverbs where Proverbs says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are a product of the way you think. Good or bad, right or wrong, but you are a product of the way you think. So, Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks, so is he. Um, your thinking is crucial because if you are not thinking correctly, you are not living correctly because your thinking results in acts. How you think will determine how you, how you live, how you behave. So where does your thinking come from? Why do you think that way? Why do you process information that way? Why do you default to this thinking? You default to that line of, where does your thinking come from? And it comes from your value system. The things that you really value. Another word for this is hope. What are you really hoping for? But the, uh, this is the, you know, the deeper levels of the iceberg, but your values determine your thinking. Now, let me uh, share a couple of things. I, <laughs> You're, uh, I read an article in Time Magazine a number of years ago. It was back in the back section. There was always a section in the back of Time Magazine called Science. And I, I always like to read that. So I'd go back in the back of the magazine and I'd read that section on science. And one time it was the article. <coughs> the article was about <coughs> what is the interplay of the mind with the will? How do they relate? Your mind and your will, how do they relate? And so as a, as a study went on, I think it was a study done at Harvard, but it was extensive. But it, it went on to say that what happens is that your mind gathers information. And then it feeds suggestions to the will. Why don't you do this? Why don't you go, why don't you go to the break at the lake? Why don't you take this course? Why don't you whatever? 
And there's about 30,000 plus, somewhere, some, somewhere to 34,000 times a day that your mind will accumulate information and make a suggestion to the will as to a course of action. Maybe 30,000 times a day. This is what you, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you go here? Why don't you go there? Why don't you buy this? Do <clears throat> you know the only criteria by which the will says yea or nay is the question, is it pleasurable? And when I read that, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. But that is exactly right. The only criteria by which the will will say, yes, I will or no, I won't, to, to the suggestion by the mind is the one question, is it pleasurable? Which means is that your will is saying, does it, have, it, does it meet my values? Does it, is it in line with who I want to become and who I want to be? Is it, is it in line? Now, let me give you an illustration. You're, you're all college students, so this, this, is, this should fit, but... Um, now you're studying, you're studying one night, and uh, you're, you got an organic, organic chemistry quiz the next day. Major quiz. Organic. Uh. So, you're <coughs> <coughs> so you're working on that bad boy. you got these formulas all laid out. you got your sheets. I mean, you're working on this thing feverishly. And all of a sudden, your buddies come by, and they knock on the door, and they say, hey, we're going to take a study break. Let's run down to the pizza. We'll grab a pizza, Coke, recharge the batteries. Be back in 45 minutes. Let's go. Now, you're sitting over in the corner of the room, this dark room, <laughs> with all these organic chemistry formulas about this reacts to this, and you heat this, and you get this, and you oh, good night. And you're studying all that stuff, and your buddies are going down to have some pizza. <laughs> and so the question, you know, the question becomes, you what's more pleasurable? So what's more pleasurable? And here's the deal. The deal is, is if you think to yourself, you know, I need this course. This is in my major. I need this grade. I can't afford to miss this. T I mean, I can't afford to mess up on this one test. I can't do that. And so you say to your buddies, I'll tell you what, you guys go ahead. I'll catch you later. I better stay with this organic. You know why you did that? Because that was the most pleasurable experience for you. That was the most pleasurable thing for you. So the question is, is that your values, your values drive your decisions. What are your values? But you always decide in the direction of your values. You know, I had a daughter, a granddaughter, excuse me, and my son is a real joker. He's a, he's a real clown. And he was talking to my granddaughter, and she turned 21. And he says, hey, Hannah, you don't have to have a fake ID anymore. <laughs> and she says, uh-uh. She said, I, uh, I knew that I would be graduating and applying for law school. And if there was something on my record that indicated that I had violated the law and made it easy for myself, knowing it was wrong, and that's on my record. And she says, no, I will not take that chance. And so she made the decision based on her values. Do you know why you'll get, get up at 5 o'clock and go down to that gym 
and climb up on that stairmaster and sweat like a fat hog in the sunshine? <laughs> that's because there's something that's valuable to you about that. There's something that's driving you about that. <laughs> give, give up, will you? <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Now, here's the deal. All permanent change, all permanent change in your life takes place by the altering of your values. All permanent change takes place in your life by the altering of your values. If you want to be something different, then you've got to look at what, what are my values? Who am I? Who do I want to become? What is important to me? What is, uh, what, 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 will, what will give me the life that I feel like is, is, is the life I want to live? What is that? And so you, you, but all permanent change takes place in the altering of your value system. So, guy goes, gets up and uh, shows up for Bible study, and he's got his, this one gal sits there, and she's got her, her verses, and she's got her verses memorized, word perfect, quote the reference before and after, and the topic, and she, bam, 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 she's got that bad boy. And another guy sitting over here, he struggles. He says, uh, uh, let me see, uh, uh, what, was that first John or John? And then he says, uh, uh, give, me the first, give me the first few words. And you know why he struggled with that? And she didn't? It's because it was much more valuable to her than it is to him. So then he says, oh, no, 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 no. Scripture memory is really important to me. No, it's not. And, your, and your, your actions show that it is not a value in your life. Now, gang, you can examine your life. And, you, and, and, and anything, you can examine your life and what's valuable to you. Because that's what you're going to go after. Don't lie to yourself. The reason that you struggle with certain disciplines is not because of a lack of discipline, but it's because you have, you, you, you have poor values. So where do your values come from? And they come from what you consider truth. Now, that may be the Bible, it may not. Hopefully it is. But if you read the Bible and you read of illustrations and lives and statements of truth that God has made, and you say, you know, this is the way I want to be, I want to be of that character, then that truth will affect your values, which affects your thinking, which is, affects your actions. That's why we really try to get people in the book. We really try to get people in the Bible because that's, that, those are everlasting truths. So, I'm not sure what the... Uh, I don't know how to go to here because my slides... Uh, contained the, uh, the points that I wanted to make from here on. Uh, uh, okay, we'll use these. That's not the... 
this, these were my, these were some of the goals that I set with my accountability group. And uh, I wanted, this is, these are objectives that I have, but, but what we don't have up there is why am I doing this? And so I, I, the thing that, that is critical is that who am I trying to become by doing this stuff? And that's the thing that's really, uh, that's, that's what drives it all. My values are not up there. These are activities to attain those values. But I want to listen to a good sermon at least once a week. I need that. I need input from other men's eyes. I'm reading my, my New American Standard Bible cover to cover. I want to study the attributes of God, goodness, and justice. There's uh, the Westminster, uh, the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession, written in 1547. Can you believe that? And they wrote uh, the Shorter Catechism, and in that they ask, uh, what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. Isn't that neat? Then they talk about who is God, or what is God. And they talk about, they give him six characteristics. One of them is justice, and one of them is goodness. And there's six of them all told. And I've got all six of them down. I'm just sorry that we don't, we don't have them. But uh, now that's, uh, hmm. This is really uh, not coming together well because it, uh, <clears throat> the flow has been broken. <clears throat> but the, uh, I, I list, what I, when I get together with the men, we sit, I don't know if you can find this or not, I, I, I don't know if you can or not, but what, what I do, when I get with the men, we set spiritual, we set objectives. Who do, and that is, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Got it? Okay. Let's see, slide it a little bit this way so it gets more balanced. Okay, let me, let me erase this. If it will. Okay. What I do when I meet with, with people, with men, I don't meet with women. I'm just not good with women. And, uh, but I, uh, we set goals and objectives. And so what, what we do is that uh, I, I meet with them. Thank you. And I set spiritual, spiritual goals. Can you find those, Stephen? It's kind of, it's kind of toward the last when you went, you were, you were putting that last, uh, those last four pages in. From the Word I think so. Okay, go back to the next, go back.
This is, um, let me give me a chair here. Sit down and read this thing. No, this fine. But see, I set uh, my goals, my purposes, and my, and my goals, but the, I have three divine purposes. And I script them each day to accomplish the work God has gifted and called me to do. And then I got some verses. But let me show you this verse, uh, John 5, 36. It says, but the testimony which I have is greater than, this is Jesus talking, greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify of me, you know, testify that the Father has sent me. And so Jesus said, the, you know, John goes around and he baptizes people and he teaches people and he corrects people, but, but John is not giving people sight. He is not, uh, he, he's not curing the leper. He's, he's, he's not doing things that uh, making a blind man see. I mean, he's, so my testimony is greater, but look at this that middle statement. My, my, my testimony is greater than the testimony of John for the works. Now, we're back to Psalms 139, okay? And that is, what works has God built and created you to accomplish? The works which the Father has given me to accomplish. Underline the word accomplish. Not to be busy at, not to be working on, not to be fiddling at, not to occasionally, uh, you know, spend some time on. The Father has given me certain works to, to finish, to accomplish, and then he says, those are the very works that I'm doing. So Jesus says, I, I, the Father has given me certain things to accomplish, and that's what I'm working on. And so the question to all of us is, what has God given you to accomplish with your life, and are you working on it? Now, uh, <clears throat> another comment he made, John 14, 17, 4, he said, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the things you gave me to do. Uh, What's the next one, uh, Stephen? You talking about Paul's testimony? Yeah, see, Paul made the comment, I finished. I have finished what God asked me to do. And see, I, I just want us to realize that when God made us in our mother's womb and made us for a purpose and made us for something that he wanted to accomplish through us, he was serious about that. And Jesus says, I accomplished what God gave me to do. Paul says, I have finished what you know, God gave me to do. And so the question for us, are we on track to accomplish what God has given us to do? That's the question. Anything else? Uh, okay, here's another one of my uh, threefold purposes, but I want to develop a disciple-making ministry model effective in producing makers of disciple makers adoptable by evangelical churches and ministries worldwide. 
And we call that the Equipped Disciple Package. And that's books one through four of the Colossians 2-7 series and a lot of things sliced in with it to make it into a, a package. And we're doing it what I call paint by the numbers. It's, uh, we're, building, we're building this discipleship package that any church, any ministry could take this and take it back to their, their church and they could implement it. And it would, it would be effective because it's been proven effective in making disciples and disciple makers. But that's one of my three goals, is that I want to create this. And I'm working on that right now. I'm meeting, I meet Thursday night at 7 o'clock with a bunch of other guys, and we're working on that right now. We're working to do this. These are not things that are just kind of nice and fluffy. I mean, these are things we're working on. What's the next one, Stephen? Okay, here's, here's another one. Personally, I want to live an extraordinary life. And, and develop extraordinary disciple makers. Now, I told my group the other day, I said, listen, my, my job is not to develop disciples. My job is not to develop disciple makers. My job is not to develop makers of disciple makers. My job is to develop extraordinary men and women of God. And that's what I do. So we, uh, I've got a, a list. I tell you, I told you earlier that I keep these lists. I got a list of what I call my super couples. And these are couples that I've met at uh, Stonebriar and at Watermark, Watermark Plano, Watermark Dallas. And these are couples that I have met that the husband and the wife are committed to helping other ministries, other churches and other ministries establish these disciple-making ministries in their congregation. And so I've gone to them and I said, if, you, if we, Watermark uh, has a uh, church leadership conference once a year, so usually in April, and uh, they'll have a thousand people show up, pastors and a, church, and a key layman. They'll have a thousand people there. And then they help them to understand how to have, you know, the certain types of ministries in your church like we're doing there. But the one thing that, I, that I'm doing and putting together is that I want to be able to help those people that show up at this church leadership conference. If they're interested in, in having discipleship in their congregation, we've got the package. We've got it. And not only that, but we can send couples to be with you for the weekend or, or however long to get, help get that started in your church. And so that's what, uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm developing, extraordinary disciple makers. These people who are wholly committed I mean, they get, may have three or four kids, but we'd take care of that. But they, uh, they're willing to go. I asked this one couple, what if we got a call from a church in uh, Helsinki, Finland? Could you go? And they said, man, in a heartbeat, we'd go. We'd go and help them get started. So, I mean, we're raising up these super couples who are committed to the Great Commission and committed to disciple-making in our body there. But that's, what, that's, that's the second one of my personal goals is to live an extraordinary life and to develop extraordinary disciple makers. You got another one, Stephen? Okay. This is to establish a sufficient income stream to meet the financial needs of my family by becoming 10 times better at my job than anybody else. Uh, Daniel 1.20, I, I read this verse in my quiet time and I thought, you know, can I do that? And here's what Daniel 1.20 said. You can see it there. As for every, now what happens, 
Uh, <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the Babylonians conquered all, the, all that entire region. And when they would bring an, a, a nation that they had conquered into their realm, Susa, the capital, they would select certain ones to train in order to be able to communicate what we do to, to you and what you do to us so that we'll have good relationships. And so he would pick out certain people, put them through a training program, and uh, a three-year training program, and then use them to, uh, as a liaison between the Chaldeans and uh, the, whatever nation they were from. And so when Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went through this training program, uh, three years, they finally <clears throat> came up before uh, Nebuchadnezzar for an interview. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes a comment in Daniel 1.20, as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them. So he, uh, he's asking them all manner of questions. He found them, those four, ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. I mean, the whole kingdom. They were better than everybody. And so I ask myself, uh, Chuck, can you be, in, a, in the business world, can you be ten times better? And I think, well, I don't know. And so I, I finally realized that it's up to me. But sure, yes, I can be ten times better. And so that became my goal. I want to establish an income stream, but, I, but I'm going to be ten times better than the near. And I sell insurance, and so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be ten times better than the next guy. And then Proverbs 22, 29, you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Skilled men are in high demand, and I want to be one of them. I hope you do too. But that's, uh, those are my three. Um, now, I think we're getting into my spiritual goals over here. But that is, my spiritual goal is I want to know God better, His character, His purposes, His ways, and to exercise faith in His promises that please Him. You know, I, uh, I read where, uh, um, I think it was the, the Roman centurion came to Jesus, and he said, my servant is sick, would you, would you heal him? And Jesus said, yeah, let's go. And the guy said, no, 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 you don't have to come to my house, you just need to say the word. He said, I'm a man of authority. I understand authority. And I know that all you got to do is say the word and it will be healed. And Jesus makes a comment. He said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. And that's what Jesus said about this Roman centurion. I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. And I decided, I wrote down, Chuck, can you have great faith that pleases God? Can you trust God and believe God for some great and mighty things? That's what I want to do. Uh, to be a significant part of his great work of transforming lives. There's nothing more exciting to me than see lives being transformed by the Word of God. You memorize Scripture, and then the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and transforms you into a man of God. I, uh, I love that. I see it all the time. What else you got, Stephen? Okay, here are the activities that I do to accomplish that. I have a daily quiet time. I listen to a good sermon. I develop a simple plan to read through the Bible in one year. I'm developing that plan right now. I've, I've almost got it done. But how can you read cover to cover in a simple way, but it's effective? And you, you can kind of bounce back and forth, but it's, it's effective. And so I'm developing that right now. I almost got it done. 
study the names of God. I've done that. I do a word, do a word study on hard. This is all the same word, hard, difficult, wondrous. Those are all the same word. I want to, do, I want to study that word. These are the six attributes of God. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is God is wisdom, God is power, God is holiness, God is justice, God is goodness, and God is truth. You know, the, strangely missing from the, the attribute of God is love. You think, well, man, uh, that would be the first one. God is love. I mean, that, where is that? And as we looked at it and, and uh, reflected, I think that the word goodness is so overwhelming that it incorporates love. God is good, and that includes his love. But the word steadfast is an important word. I want to do that. The Red Sea rules, I've pretty much done that. Memorize Galatians chapter 4 through 6. That's going to be, have to be put off. I can quote you the first three chapters, but 4 through 6 I haven't gotten done yet. I've got about half of 4, but it's rusty. And, uh, and in my review, I'm reviewing my, the verses that I've previously memorized. I, I review both Old Testament and New Testament every day. I'm, I'm reviewing those verses. So that's, th those are activities that I will use to, to become the man that I said I wanted to be. Any, any questions or comments on that? You see what I, how I'm getting, uh, where, I'm, where I'm going here? Yeah. It's just, a, you know, in other words, if, if you want to be a somebody, you want to be a certain person, what's going to get you there? And are you working on that? Have you got that listed down? Have you, uh, have you got that figured out? But you're not going to wind up there accidentally. You're not going to just stumble into being a man of God. That, that ain't going to happen. And so, uh, you, you know, you come up with what activities? And here's some more, but I, my prayer life. Uh, pr you know, number 12, I'm praying for God to heal someone instantly. You ever, heard, you ever seen that? I have never seen God heal somebody instantly. It happened in the New Testament all the time. I've never seen it. And so I asked the Lord, and I pray for some kids, about nine kids, every morning uh, who have got severe problems. And I pray for them every morning. And I pray that, you know, God, would you heal these kids? And I'm looking forward to one day this little gal who is severely autistic all of a sudden just becomes clear-minded and verbal and socially adaptable, and, and she's cured. I'm just looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, create a, uh, I got to speak to them. There's a conference coming up in Louisiana that I got to, I'm the speaker. I got to prepare two talks for there. But uh, share my testimony regularly. Create a survey for college, German college ministries. I went to Germany and I, I was bothered. There's something just not quite right there. And I thought, you know, they, uh, they're just not reaching out to people. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write up a, a college survey. Maybe they can use that. A blog a week, I, I pretty much do that. Uh, that's just for my family. Developing the Equip Disciple Package, working on that. Uh, I won't, well, anyway, uh, that next one down there is for East West Ministries, uh, which is in Dallas. And uh, they, they have come to me and said that we want to incorporate discipleship in our ministry. Right now, they're church planners, and, uh, but they're not, they're not building disciples. And so I, I want to develop this same package and help them. Uh, but I'm involved in the ministry at Watermark, Stormbar, and First Baptist, and 
developing a syllabus for ED7 accountability group. That's my, uh, and my super couples training. That's my uh, Thursday, my Friday morning bunch, and my super couples. I want a syllabus. What do I want them exposed to? What do I want them to learn? What do I want them to know? What do I want them to be able to do? And so I create a syllabus for them to be trained so that when they do go to, you know, First Baptist Church of uh, Laramie, Wyoming or something, they're equipped. They're ready. They're equipped. And so those are some of the activities that I'm doing in order to accomplish my mission, my, my purpose. What's next? What's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, these are, to see right out there in the urgent presentation, I've pretty much done that uh, right out in my four messages. I, I create some messages called the mind of a disciple. There are four of them. And I want to I write those out. They're just notes right now. Uh, speak on scripture memory, I've done that. Prepare a gift, five messages for snake at the lake, uh, or the break of the lake. And, uh, and then speak to the two, 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 so I've done that. So I've done 25 and 24 and 23, and I've done a lot of those. But, um, but those are activities that I do in order for me to become the man that I say God wants me to be and, and what he wants me to do through my life. Now, am I wrong? I don't know. I mean, is this 100% accurately from God? I don't know. But it's what I sense. It's what, I, it's what I'm pursuing. I don't want to be standing around waiting for somebody to give me a clue. I want to be underway. And so that's what I do. What's next? Uh, ah, my family goals. A second after spiritual goals, I have goals for my family. Now my wife, as I have one simple goal, to help my wife to be all God has called and gifted her to be and do, period. I will do everything I can do to help her to be what she senses God wants her to be and do, enabling her to be the mother and the grandmother she longs to be for her children and her grandchildren. That's what she wants to do. I want to help her get there. So the kids, I help them process life biblically. I, I get with Amy and Jennifer and with Jeff, and we talk about biblical concepts. And we, I, want them to I want them to process life biblically. Their thinking, their reactions, their long-term plans, all rooted in eternal truth. And that's what I want to do. And to my grandkids, I'm just a, uh, to be a godly role model and to, I want them to be, I want to be a role model for my grandkids. That they look to the old grandpa and uh, they think, you know, he's good, he's, uh, he's, he's got it figured out. He's, he's a good man. He's a good fellow. He's a good fellow. I just want to be a role model. I want to love them and encourage them and I want to enjoy them. And I want to reinforce what their parents are doing in their life. So that's my goals for my children and grandchildren. What's next? Now, I got to, these are the things about my family that I need to do. I need to develop a system. My income is not sufficient right now. So I'm working on becoming that Daniel 120 guy. I'm working feverishly on that. And I asked the Lord, I said, you know, God, you have given me certain exposures. You've taught me certain things. You've exposed me to certain men and women of God that's taught me. And uh, But uh, how, how is it that I'm having to spend a buku amount of time, just buku amount of time on making money. And uh, it just didn't, it seems like, it's, it's, and I've really questioned, God, am I wasting, am I wasting that time? Uh, <clears throat> but I, I don't have a choice. 
because we're, we're shy. You know, I went from, uh, I'm going to share this tonight, I believe. But we went, my wife and I went from having almost $4 million to being about 40000 in debt. You ought to try that one on for size. But uh, so, so I want to sell our home and our lot in Frisco. But I got to make some repairs first. And uh, I want to work at bringing each family member, uh, I, want them, I want to bring some stability in their housing uh, situation. I want to buy a delightful home in, in Wimberley. That's where we're moving to. Eliminate debt. Extended family vacation. I look forward to that. We, we'll all huddle up and have a great time together. But I want to find a couple of like heart with whom to fellowship. You know, Robbie and I are 78, and we look around for people that really have the same passion for the Lord that we do. And let me tell you, they're, they're not out there. They're, they're just few and far between. And so I'm asking God to bring us across the path of somebody who just really has a love for the Lord. The husband and the wife both just love the Lord and want to serve him and, and follow him. And so, so I'm asking God, bring us a couple that we can be a part of. End of life documents that just secure a burial plot. In other words, you know, I got to have a, uh, <coughs> something like a, uh, you know, power of attorney for finance, power of attorney for medical. I got to have all that stuff. And uh, I got to do that. And then secure a barrier of lots, someplace they can stick me. Okay. Here's my health goals. I want to maintain my proper weight. I'm doing it pretty good. I'm about five over right now. My body fat percentage, my blood chemistry, and my strength and aerobics and flexibility to function effectively daily. I can't do what I used to could do. But I don't want my physical, I don't want to be so sloppy in taking care of myself, physically speaking, health-wise, that it affects my ability to perform. I, don't, I just don't want that. So I, I, I have goals. I, I work on that. And I've got some, is, is there some underneath that? Yeah. Uh, no more than, I don't want to weigh more, no more than 80 in my body fat, no more than 13. My cholesterol less than 200, HDL, you know, so forth, triglyceride, blah, blah, blah. Work out at the office gym twice a week. I want to do 25 push-ups daily. Drink, uh, take my juice plus. Uh, drink 20 ounces of water. Have my teeth whitened. I still haven't gotten that done yet. <laughs> and uh, and monitor my cancer. I have cancer, and I want to, I monitor that every six months. I'm going up again April the 20, no March the 28th. But that's those are my health goals. Now here again, are those, you know, going to rock your boat or? set the world on fire or, or be written up in the Wall Street Journal? No. But it's, it's, it's what you need so that you're living the life you want to live. And it is, it is, a, it is a purposeful life. It is a life that's, that's going someplace. It's a life that means something. It's a life that's equipping me to be able to help people. Now, here's a couple of things. If I will change, and this is true, everything will change. It's up to me. But if I will change... Everything will change. Now, here's another. It is my job to be the best and to get better. I just believe that. And it is, it is irresponsible for me to start each day unfocused, unprepared, and uncommitted. That is totally irresponsible. So you get up in the morning and you head out. Are you focused? Are you prepared? Are you committed? That's basic. 
But to do, not do that, to not do that, means that you're just drifting. You're just wandering. And, you know, and that's what, you know, that uh, Alan Lakin and some of these others said that we are, that, that we're just drifting. We're, we're, we're going through life with no purpose. And that's the thing that I want to correct uh, with the, the, the men and women with whom I meet. But if you will change, everything will change. It's all up to you. It is my job to be the best and to get better. You can always improve. And it is just totally irresponsible for, to start each day unfocused, unprepared, and uncommitted. Oh, you've got to do that. You've got to do that. You've got to have your goals. You've got to have your list. You've got to have, God, what do you want me to do with my life? This is where I'm headed. Uh, God, help me. Um, but you've got, you've got, and, and, and you just, that's, you can't be irresponsible and just drift. Okay, that may be, I think that's the last one, Stephen. No, no, that's okay. What, uh, well, let me ask you guys, what do you think? You got, this has been kind of uh, a poor presentation. Uh, usually I have better audio people than that, but. But, um, but uh, any questions? But as, let me just make a couple of comments. This is how I'm trying to live. This is how I live. In fact, I use the word try. I have eliminated try from my vocabulary. I do not use the word try. I'm not trying to do anything. I am doing it. And so this is the way I live. And I want my life to be purposeful. I want to have, you know, I want to have something to offer. I go down to sit in that dining hall for lunch or something like that, and some meatball saddles up to me, and he's got some question. I want to be able to help him. I want to have something to offer. And it's maybe some verses I memorize, or some experiences that I've learned, but I want to be, I want to have something to offer him. And so that's, uh, that's how we should live. But that's how, uh, I, I apologize for the, the mess up. This is probably my fault more than anybody's. But uh, I, I wanted you to understand this tyranny of the urgent. That'll rob you. And you'll wake up some year, you'll wake up 10 years from now, and you will ask yourself, where am I? How did I get here? What am I doing? And you will ask yourself those questions. And you just blew off 10 good years. And I don't want to do that. Now, here's the thing. I grew up a uh, little skinny, little naive, simpleton kid in the hicks of Louisiana. I mean, seriously, basically, you know, raised in obscurity and nobody, I mean, I, I had no idea about anything. No, I wasn't going anywhere in life. And so, uh, but, and so I rocked along and just did nothing. I mean, I just drifted. I went to high school and uh, we had this contest and, hey, I got selected for that. Good. And, and we had this deal and I got selected for that. And, uh, but I had no idea who I was or where I was going or what I should be doing. I had no idea. And uh, that's uh, when I finally went to the seminar down at Ed Foreman's seminar. And then I read this book, The Tyranny. That's when the lights came on. And I thought, I don't want to live that way anymore. I do not want to live anymore without a direction and a purpose to my life. So that's uh, now. You're in college. You've got time to make changes. I mean, you can make some significant changes. You can change who you are. 
You can change, uh, you can become a totally different person. It's up to you. But it's there. It's there. But it won't happen accidentally. You won't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're this purposeful guy. No, that ain't going to happen. But any, any uh, comments or questions? Yes. I'm just wondering, like, as we try to figure out what our, our values are and how we want to live by that, how do we know if it's something that, like, a career-focused activity or if it's God-focused, if it's our own self? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Is, is, am I following the ways of the world or the ways of God? And the answer is I don't know and I really don't care. What I'm doing is that I, I am, to the best of my knowledge, I'm figuring out what I'm good at and what I should be doing with my life and how I can contribute. And, but the other thing is, am I becoming the man that I want to be? Is this job? And a lot of times people are in a job and they're not becoming who they want to be. That job is robbing them of that opportunity to become who they want to be. But you just got to, you know, you know you figure that out. And uh, you, can, you can change and make a mistake. I mean, you can change and, and uh, start over. You, it just, you got time. You, you got that. You can do that. But you need to start. And so I would say, you know, sit down and write down, okay, let me describe. Let me write down who I want to be. And then take several areas of your life. Like uh, I think there was one slide up there that... Uh, I really hate we missed that because there were four questions. Can you find that one that had four questions? Yeah, here it is. These are the four questions that I ask people that I, that I work with. Number one is who do I want to be? And the second question is, what help do I need to get there? What education, what training, what experience, what apprenticeship? Who do I need to get around in order to become that? But who do I want to be? And what, what do I need to help me to get there? And then the third question is, when, where, and through whom? You've got to get it. You've got to answer that one. Who can help me with this? Who can teach me what I need to know? Who can help me to experience what I need to experience? And then the fourth question is, what price am I willing to pay? Now, I, uh, I was meeting with a fella. Uh, he was a captain in the Air Force up at Tinker Air Force Base, Oklahoma. <clears throat> and we went through this. And he came to me. Oh, gosh, it must have been five years later. His name was John. And he came to me. He said, Joe, do you remember going over those four questions with me? And I said, John, I struggle to remember my kids' names. <laughs> so I, 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 don't, I don't remember exactly what we went over this years ago. So he goes through those four questions. He said, this is what we talked about. And he made a comment. He said, Chuck, that changed my life. I was flying C-130s out of Tinker. And I thought, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? And he says, no. I want to be a Christian, a godly Christian businessman who can help men in the marketplace to walk with God and help their families walk with God. That's who I want to be. So he wrote that down. Then he thought, who can help me to get there? What do I need to get there? Well, I need to be exposed to somebody who's doing it. So he goes to a fellow named Gene War. He was a real estate guy in Oklahoma City. And he said, Gene, would you help me to become a, an effective 
Christian businessmen in the real estate community. Would you help me do that? So Gene says, yeah, I'll help you. And so he went to work for him. And so he comes back, so he dropped out of the Air Force, left that, and uh, it kind of cost him the security he had of that job. And he went and went to work for Gene War and became a Christian realtor. I don't know of anybody in Oklahoma City, seriously, that has a better ministry than John does. Godly man, godly wife, married a guy named Sally, just super couple. Kid doing well, but he, he has an impact in that city through, through real estate. That's what he wanted to be. And so he went through the four questions, and that's when he told me, he said, Chuck, that changed my life. And I told him, I said, John, it, that's not what changed. The thing that changed your life was the fact that you did it, not that you heard it. You did it. You listened to those four questions, and you went and you did it. That's what changed your life. I don't know if that helps or uh, if it doesn't, I don't have anything else to say anyway. So. <laughs> anything else? I, I don't know how much time or who we are on time-wise or anything. Neil? Neil?